Well, the Zags escaped a trip to the Bay Area with two narrow wins over USF and Santa Clara last week. Are these the kind of wins that will help this team succeed in March? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. All right, today is a delayed Mailbag Monday. We are recording this on Tuesday morning. I am feeling a little bit better, but I am sure you can hear in my voice still getting over one of those nasty, nasty January head colds. Uh, fortunately, we still got plenty of Zag stuff to talk about. Uh, plenty of questions came through over the weekend uh, for Mailbag Monday. So we're just going to do it a day late. We're going to talk about this San Francisco, Santa Clara road trip. We're going to talk about the WCC at large. We're going to talk a little women's basketball all wrapped up here in a nice 30-minute episode for you all. Uh, very, very glad to be back. Hoping that I will sound a little bit more normal very soon. Uh, let's get right into this first question here. comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, are these grinded-out road games character-building? Specifically, is the mere fact that players other than Drew Timmy are having to step up actually a positive thing? We saw this with Rasir Bolton in the USF game and Nolan Hickman in the Santa Clara game. Any team who wants to run off six wins in a row and win the Natty will have to have players step up in similar situations. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I do think they help. And I think that you're right to, to acknowledge the Rasir Bolton game against San Francisco and, of course, the Nolan Hickman game against Santa Clara. I think both games are frustrating to watch. It's hard to watch Gonzaga struggle. It's hard to watch Drew Timmy struggle. Uh, it's hard to watch Gonzaga struggle in true road environments. I have hammered home the point, and we'll talk about it more with the next question, actually, that Gonzaga should play more true road games. Uh, I know that the NCAA tournament is not a true road environment, but it is a loud, raucous environment. And quite frankly, it is often an anti-Gonzaga environment because they are usually the higher-ranked seed, and people go to those games to hopefully see the upset games happen. So I think for the Zags, getting more familiarity with how do we be resilient? How do we find ways to come back when we're losing? when the crowd is against us, when the other team has a game plan that seems to be working against us, how can we fight back and win? Gonzaga needs to demonstrate that they have the ability to do that because they don't get very many opportunities to do that. They usually go to true road games in the WCC and beat the tar out of whoever they're playing. That did not happen against San Francisco and Santa Clara, not because Gonzaga is bad, but because those two teams are very, very good. And we saw Gonzaga step up. We saw Rasir Bolton have a really, really good game, the best game of his season against a good San Francisco team, a team that has good perimeter defensive players in Khalil Shabazz, in Tyrell Roberts. And he went out and had 21 points really efficient night, hit the game winning shot with less than 10 seconds to go. Likewise, Nolan Hickman, it was kind of quiet. It was kind of a, a an under-the-radar performance, as it were, but he had 20 points against, uh, excuse me, against Santa Clara. A really, really good game against a good team there. Uh, obviously, Brandon Podzimski was kind of the story of that game. He was a monster for Santa Clara in that game, but, but uh, excuse me, Nolan Hickman was excellent. And that kind of performance is huge, monumentally critical. I think you're absolutely right. These two teams are not NCAA tournament teams, though. They're not going to make the field. They are close. They're good teams. Uh, but they they have a, enough losses that they're probably not going to make it. Gonzaga is going to face better teams. For me, seeing secondary players step up is a huge, huge thing. But at the end of the day, this team still has some significant issues they need to work on on the defensive end of the floor. And unless they make significant strides there, I'm not sure how much having secondary creators step up will necessarily help when they get into March. Next question here comes from Jeff 
via Gmail. Jeff says, if Gonzaga had not played such a brutally difficult non-conference schedule, would they still be undefeated in WCC play? I think the answer might be no. It seems that the very difficult non-conference prepared Gonzaga for just this sort of week in ways that in past years, Gonzaga would not have been prepared to handle this kind of week on the road against good teams. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I still stand by my point that I kind of alluded to in the first question that one of the best ways Gonzaga could have prepared themselves for these really difficult road environments in the WCC is to play actual difficult road environments in the non-conference. Now, I'm not going to be remotely critical of Gonzaga's non-conference schedule. It was an absolute gauntlet. Michigan State, Kentucky, Texas, Baylor, the PK-85, Alabama. I mean, it's just a monstrous, monstrous slate of games. But the only one of those games that was a true road game was Texas. Now, you can split hairs about Alabama, and certainly it was not a pro-Gonzaga environment uh, in Birmingham when they played the Crimson Tide, and they won that game. They dropped 100 points in a borderline road game against the Crimson Tide. That's fantastic, and that's a really, really good win. The best win Gonzaga has, one of the best wins Gonzaga's had in a while, quite honestly. Maybe as good as, not quite as good as that Duke game in Maui, uh, but for this to be a borderline road game for them to win is huge. But they didn't play the rest of these games on the road. Purdue Xavier was was neutral slash pro-Gonzaga crowd, uh, certainly Kentucky, if we're not going to give we're not going to count Alabama as a true road game. We're not going to count Kentucky as a true home game, but we know that that was a pretty pro Gonzaga crowd there as well. So I think for me, like would Gonzaga still be undefeated? I'm not sure. I think they might've still found a way to win those games, but I ultimately think that the, the non-conference schedule absolutely helped them get more prepared for that. But at the end of the day, I think part of the reason Gonzaga struggles is when they're playing in road environments and they have a, a lack of familiarity. And to be clear, Gonzaga is not the only team. In fact, they're, uh, not even close to the only team that doesn't play a lot of true road games in the non-conference. It's, just, it's uncommon to see that. And it's a criticism I have personally of just all of college basketball of, yeah, I understand playing in unique environments and playing in uh, MTEs and, you know, Jerry Colangelo classic and Phoenix and stuff like that. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that stuff, but I want to see more true road games. The home at home with Texas was awesome. Gonzaga blew the doors off of a very good Texas team at home. Texas blew the doors off a very good Gonzaga team when they were at home. It's kind of fun. I mean, it wasn't fun at the time. That was a really awful game to have to watch for the Zags, but that kind of stuff is more fun. I want to see them do more of that because I think that prepares them more for March. And I think that the reason Gonzaga struggled in this game was because they weren't as familiar with road environments. Uh, and the reason that they came back is because they had played some tough games already. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 in some ways. Final question here of the first segment also comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, on Thursday, January 12th, this Gonzaga men team will play their third straight road game in WCC play. You do not see Gonzaga do this very often, especially against top half WCC teams. When was the last time Gonzaga actually played three straight WCC games on the road? Heck, when was the last time they played three straight true road games, period? Well, they don't play three straight road games in non-conference. That's just, that's not happening. As I, I would be shocked if that has happened in a really, really, really long time because most road games are neutral. Or excuse me, most non-conference games are neutral side games. So I went back through the schedule. I went all the way back to 2015, 2016. I found three instances of Gonzaga playing three consecutive not excuse me, three consecutive road games. Uh, they were all WCC play. The, first, the most recent time was not that long ago. It was in 2020, 2021. Uh, but they played San Diego, Pacific, and Pepperdine. So, you know, your, your point about it not being top half WCC teams is very accurate. They blew the doors off San Diego Pacific and Pepperdine. They did it again in the 2018-2019 season. This time it was against Portland, Santa Clara, and BYU. A little bit better, although Portland was awful at that time. Santa Clara was 
okay at that time. Uh, BYU was pretty good. But Gonzaga went 6-0 in those six games the last two times that this has happened. Uh, For the next time it had to happen, you have to go all the way back to that 2015-2016 season. That year was a bit of a struggle for the Zags, if you recall. Uh, They only got an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament, of course, went on a really nice run after that. But in the 15-16 season, they played four straight road games. That seems really unprecedented. I didn't want to go back and find the last time that had happened before that, uh, but I imagine it's been a long time since that happened. And this was a fun one. They played LMU, Pepperdine, and Portland, won all three of those games, as you might expect. Those are not particularly good teams at that time. And then their fourth straight road game was against SMU. That is back when Gonzaga used to play premier non-conference opponents in the middle of the WCC season. They lost that game to SMU, uh, despite DeMontis Bonus dropping 20 points with 16 rebounds in that one. Uh, again, I've been a long proponent, if Gonzaga is going to stay in the WCC, that they try to find some premier non-conference opponents to play in the middle of the season, if they can, uh, going on the road after playing three straight road games uh, in the WCC. That was a bold move by Mark Few. It didn't pay off with a victory over SMU, but uh, that team seemed pretty darn ready for what they faced in the NCAA tournament, blowing out Seton Hall in the first round, blowing out number three, Utah, in the second round, going all the way to Sweet 16 as an 11 seed. So perhaps there is something to the idea of playing multiple road games uh, early in in the middle of the WCC season. I already got more listeners submitted questions coming your way here in the second segment, including who I would give the ball to in the final seconds of a game. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat but don't want to get all the fat and calories? Then you have to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me where you want to eat healthier but you don't want to compromise taste, then, man, I've got just the thing for you. You have got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious you won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your news resolution. What makes Bilt Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Bilt does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy, only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Bilt Bars at Bilt.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk into the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at Walmart or Sam's today. All right, segment two. Still any patents, still locked on Zach. I want to thank you all again for making Locked On Zach your first listen of the day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Is everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, hammering again through here on Mailbag Monday. We got our next question comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, with the game down to single possession and 25 seconds left, which point guard are you telling this is your moment? We need a bucket. Get it done. Not to make a play, but to make a bucket. Which point guard are you giving the ball? You know, it's not a point guard, I guess. It's Rasir Bolton. Uh, That's the answer for me here in this situation. Uh, There's been a lot of conversation about teams that may struggle with needing a late game bucket and their primary score is a big man. Uh, we saw this with Purdue and Zach Eady. They really struggled to find ways to get him the basketball in their loss to Rutgers in some other close game situations they've been in, in the big 10. And we've seen it a little bit with Gonzaga and Drew Timmy. And it's hard to not have a, a downhill scoring guard who you can just give the basketball and say, go get a bucket. Gonzaga used to have that. 
Andrew Nemhard was that. It took him a while to be that. He wasn't always that, but he became that. Jalen Suggs was that from the freaking get-go. He he was that guy right away. And that's what made him so dang special is that he could just go get a basket if he needed him to. Gonzaga doesn't really have that guy on this team. And it's part of the reason that uh, many people out there believe that their their ceiling is a little bit lower because it's it's difficult when you don't have just like a go get a basket type guard. I think Nolan Hickman will eventually become that guy. I don't know that it's going to happen this year, but I thought we saw very significant glimpses of it in that Santa Clara game. There were times when the shot clock was breaking down and the, the offense had stagnated. Drew Timmy couldn't get open, whatever it may be. And he just went downhill and scored. And, and that's fantastic. And that's that's a skill that we haven't really seen him do. And we haven't really seen the confidence for him to do that. And he's starting to do it. That to me is huge. Is he going to be ready to do that in March against Arkansas or Alabama or teams like that in the NCAA tournament? I don't know. I'm not sure 100%, uh, but I think he's getting to the point where he's going to be ready to do that. Rasir Bolton is the guy I trust right now because he's very experienced. He's very crafty. He's good at getting to the free throw line. Uh, he's good at finishing through contact, and he's, he's just been doing this for a really long time. He's proven that he's a very, very clutch player when Gonzaga needs him to be. Uh, but I think it's between those two guys, and I think the, the 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 passing of the pendulum to Hickman might not happen this year, but by next year I think he might be ready to be that guy for the Bulldogs. Next question here comes from Connor via Twitter DM. Connor says, does Zach's have a real chance at landing Carter Bryant? Is he a must-add for this program? Yeah, for those who missed this, Carter Bryant, a 2024 five-star prospect. In fact, I think he's number seven in the class of 2024, according to 24-7 Sports. Six-foot-eight forward from California. He can jump out of a gym. He's a highlight reel athlete, good shooter. There's a reason he's a top 10 in this class. He can do just about everything. He's been on Gonzaga's radar for a long time. He went to the Formula Zero camp that Damian Lillard put on uh, over the summer. Hunter Salas was there. A couple of other Gonzaga recruits uh, were there as well. So it was a, a good opportunity for him to perhaps inter- you know, get interested, get involved, get uh, meet up with some, some potential Gonzaga guys. So uh, we'll see what the situation is here. I haven't talked to Jason Jordan uh, in, a, in a while. I'm hoping to talk to him next week and get, get some more of his insights into uh, more about this player and more about it where he potentially is right now. 24-7 Sports uh, says that Arizona is in the lead. Uh, he recently rescheduled an official visit to Arizona. And then while he was in the process of rescheduling that or after he rescheduled that, it came out that he's also scheduled an official visit to Gonzaga. If Arizona was a locked-in place for him to go, he probably wouldn't have scheduled an official visit to Gonzaga. So it's at least a good sign that he is going to talk to Tommy Lloyd. He's going to talk to Mark Few. Those two guys are going to duke it out for Carter Bryant. There are other programs in the mix here as well. Louisville is known to be involved. How seriously that is, obviously, it remains to be seen. Blue blood program, but really, really bad this year uh, and and much farther away from Bryant's hometown in California. So I think Gonzaga has a good chance here. It sounds like Arizona is in the lead. I'm hoping to have more insight on this guy's uh, recruitment next week. Uh, but he would be a huge, huge get for the Zags. They don't get a lot of, like, high-flying athletic forwards. That's not uh, typically a, a kind of archetype that comes to Gonzaga. It'd be a really huge addition for the Bulldogs if they were able to land him. Next question here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, on an episode of Ion College Basketball Podcast with Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander, they pondered the idea of a team of the nation's bigs versus a team of the nation's guards and who would win. It was an interesting that they had Drew Timmy running point on the big squad. Heck yeah, maybe they got like four and a half assists per game. Uh, if you did this exercise with the WCC, what would your lineups be? Who would win? Yeah, so... I didn't listen to that episode of Ion College Basketball, so I don't know uh, what they did with, like, forwards. Uh, I tried to – I was just looking up players' positions on ESPN. If they were listed as a guard, I counted them. If they were listed as a forward, I counted them uh, amongst the bigs. Uh, the 
the WCC doesn't have a lot of like traditional centers. Uh, it made some players kind of difficult to figure out where to play. Like, for example, I put Tyler Robertson with the guards. I put Maxwell Lewis with the bigs. Uh, Maxwell Lewis is 6'7", Tyler Robertson 6'6". But, you know, Lewis definitely plays more of a forward position and, and Tyler Robertson leads the WCC in assists. So I assume that he is more of a guard. Uh, again, you guys can pick the lineup if you want. I had some fun with this. I tried uh, to make it so that there's only one per team. I didn't I didn't succeed. There's only one team that has two members uh, on these two lineups combined, and that is the Pepperdine Waves. Uh, so we'll just go through the lineup here for the bigs. Uh, starting at center is Mitchell Saxon from St. Mary's, uh, obviously really talented player, uh, averaging about eight and a half rebounds per game. Uh, power forward is Drew Timmy, not playing point guard on this year's team, uh, but he's still playing uh, a, a forward position. Uh, small forward, Fusuni Traore from BYU. Uh, he's about 6'6", six, six, uh, not, not much of a shooter, but a very good rebounder, a good defensive presence as well. Shoot guard is, shooting guard is Kelly Leo Pepe out of LMU, uh, one of my favorite players in the conference, uh, just kind of a, a goofy-looking player, uh, but he's shooting 45% from deep as a six foot seven forward, so he's going to play the shooting guard position. He's going to be our outside shooting. And then point guard, maybe this is cheating. I don't know. I put Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine. I could not imagine making a lineup here without Maxwell Lewis. He's the best player in the conference, uh, best NBA prospect, I should say, in the conference. You could make an argument that he's the best player in the conference, too. He is ridiculously talented. He's 6'7". He's listed as a forward, so we're putting him on the big let him run point uh, and that's going to be a mess for the opposing team let's talk about the opposing team the wcc guard starting at center santa clara guard brandon podzimski uh, he's averaging eight and a half rebounds per game but he is very clearly a guard really talented player gonzaga fans have now seen and have grown to strongly dislike i would imagine after what he did to them on saturday Playing power forward uh, for the WCC guards lineup is Eric Williams out of San Diego. Williams is listed as a guard. He's six foot six, but he's averaging 9.9 rebounds per game. He is literally leading the WCC in rebounds per game as a legitimate guard. No doubt I had to have him on this lineup here. Uh, small forward for the WCC guard lineup is Tyler Robertson out of the University of Portland. Uh, he leads the WCC in assists. He's a good rebounder. He's a good scorer. He's a borderline triple-double machine. A fantastic player to have on this lineup. And then my two actual guards for the guard lineup, starting at shooting guard Khalil Shabazz out of San Francisco and starting at point guard again, the only team that doubled up a uh, Houston Millette out of Pepperdine. Easily could have put Nolan Hickman here at first I was planning to only put one zag and then I realized hey I actually have a lineup where I'm basically not doubling up any of the teams uh, but really couldn't couldn't find a way to not put Millette here he's really really talented guy uh, in terms of who would win I think it'd be a really fun matchup I think I'm going to lean with the guards uh, they have good rebounding uh, they can straight stretch out the floor shoot from the outside uh, the bigs lineup is just going to be too clogged up in the middle they really only have two shooters in Leah Pepe and Maxwell Lewis. Leah Pepe is not a guy who creates his own shots necessarily. He's more of a standstill shooter. Uh, Maxwell Lewis is really, really good, but I don't think he can do everything on his own. Yeah, the WCC guard lineup is going to have trouble defending Drew Timmy down low, uh, but I think that that kind of is, is wiped away by the fact that they're, that big lineup is going to really struggle to guard anybody on the WCC guard lineup. Fun exercise. Thanks for the question, Christian. All right, the WCC season is in full effect, and listeners have more questions about the conference and the women's team right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zag, still hammering through. Mailbag Monday here. I know it's Tuesday morning as we're recording this. We're a day late, but that is A-OK. -okay. We still got plenty of fun stuff to talk about this week. This next question here comes from Jeff. 
via Gmail. Jeff says, how surprising is it to see the Pacific men at three and one in WCC play with their only WCC loss being a blowout loss at home to BYU? Sure, their WCC wins are not the toughest teams, but given how Pacific has played the last couple of years, who could have seen that coming? Any chance Pacific can keep it going? Yeah, this doesn't mean much to me, to be quite honest. I don't think that the bottom half, maybe not half, but the bottom part of the WCC is all that good. I don't think Pacific is dramatically farther behind some of the other bad teams in the conference. And so they, they secured a few wins. Surprising? Yes. Would I have called them being three and one? No, absolutely not. Do I think that they have, that this means they have a chance against Gonzaga or St. Mary's or Santa Clara? No. No, I do not. I don't think the specific team is very good. I think there's a reason that their non-conference season did not go well. I think there's a reason that they're outside the top 200 in Ken Palm. And I, I don't think that a couple of nice wins, in the, or a couple of wins in the WCC really moves the needle for me all that much. I'm happy for them. I'm not trying to put them down too much. I would like to see this program take a turn. They've been pretty clearly at the bottom of the conference for a while. And we've seen Portland kind of pull themselves out of the cellar in a significant way by making a coaching change. Uh, we saw Pacific attempt to overhaul their roster significantly this offseason. They brought in a bunch of transfers, a whole bunch of them. Uh, but it just hasn't worked yet. And seeing them kind of come together and put together a couple wins in the WCC is nice. Uh, but this team is not as good as, as the top five, six, seven teams in the WCC. And I don't think that the standings at the end of the year will reflect anything other than that. Next question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, just a fun question here. USF green shirt guy. Did he need a technical or no? Yeah. So for anybody who missed this at the very end of the San Francisco game, there was a fan, a green shirt guy, as Austin called him here. Also, Peter Woodburn at the Slipper Still Fits wrote a fantastic, funny, goofy article breaking down his performance uh, on the sideline kind of during the last few minutes of the game. Uh, this is a very passionate fan, a very irate fan uh, with the last uh, minutes and, and Rasir Bolton's final shot. Uh, the, the main thing he did that caught a lot of attention was uh, after Rasir Bolton hit the game winner, uh, they, the team was starting to kind of huddle up and he got right in Rasir's face and kind of screamed at him. Bolton completely ignored it, like didn't even turn, didn't even like react at all. It was a, a masterclass in avoiding fan interaction uh, from a veteran guy. I'm not sure that a true freshman would have reacted the way Ross did, but he's he looked like the guy who's dealt with a lot of fans screaming in his face, to be quite honest. Um no, I don't think he needed a technical foul there. Uh, I, I think it was it, it was inappropriate. Like, I, I'm not going to get all holier than thou about this. It's Fans get mad. It's not that big of a deal. He didn't push Ross. He didn't, like, get in. I mean, he just yelled at him. Like, it was rude. And I think the USF ad administration should and probably did have a conversation about, hey, it's a privilege to sit this close at games. Like, you have to, you have to react appropriately. And, like, I guarantee you, even though that article that Peter wrote was silly and goofy and not uh, super problematic, and even though... I think the general discourse around this wasn't like super up in arms upset. USF is probably pretty embarrassed about this. To be perfectly honest, they are not happy that this is getting attention. I don't know who that guy is. Uh, I don't know if he it works at USF, if he's, if he's faculty, if he's just a diehard fan, booster, whatever. I, I have no idea. Um, but I, I'm sure they had some kind of conversation of like, you cannot do that. Like you stomp your feet and yell at the refs, like whatever. It kind of makes you look childish. But a lot of fans look childish when they go to basketball games. That's kind of part. This is a part of the fun. That's uh, part of the deal with, with going to sporting events. But yelling at a player is not okay. And again, is it that big of a deal? No, probably not. Did, did Bolton seem upset about it, or even did he react to it at all? No, he did not. Uh, and games like that are tough and tight, and you want that. You want you want vitriol. You want like really intense emotion. That guy hates Gonzaga now. He probably already did but he really hates them and there are a lot of fans there that are really not happy with Gonzaga they are mad they were winning that whole dang game Gonzaga came back and won they're mad at the refs they're mad at Gonzaga they're mad at Drew Timmy they're mad at Rasir Bolton that's great bring it on 
bring it on every year going forward. Don't scream in a player's face right after he hits a game-winning shot because that's rude, and you should probably get at least like a talking to or something like that. But let's create some more anger. I mean, who knows how long Gonzaga is going to be in the WCC, but I love seeing stuff like this. I like seeing anger, and, and as long as it doesn't you know, obviously get violent or get to a point where it's, it's clearly problematic, this right up to the line right up to that line in my mind uh, and didn't quite cross it, but, but pretty close. Uh, but again, I think that going right up to the line is, is kind of what you want to see from opposing fans winning at Gonzaga right now, because uh, they need to be tested and you just want to see fans really engage with college basketball. That's what I love. So, so seeing that was, was fun in a way where I was like, Oh, okay. It didn't turn out too bad. So I guess we're all right. Final question of the show here. Another one from our friend, Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, after finishing a terrible non-conference run, the Portland women seem to have put things together and are now 6-0 in WCC play and tied for first. What kind of threat do you think they could be to the Lady Zags? Uh, yeah, this is a good team. They were a good team last year. They were a good year, team the year before that when they would have made the, w, the NCAA tournament had it not been canceled. I still feel very strongly for that program. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I worked at the University of Portland. I did not work there uh, right before COVID. I had already moved on to another job, but I was close uh, with with a lot of people at that school. I th this was a new staff that had come on, so I didn't know the coaching staff for the women's team all that well. But I know how much it would have meant to that team to get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, and they they earned it. They straight up earned it. There's no debate. It's not a what if. They earned it. They were going to play in the W in the NCAA tournament. They won the WCC championship, and they didn't get a chance to because of COVID. And that sucks. That really really sucks for a program that that, that earned it and deserved it and should have been there. Uh, and I. I don't want them to make it again, necessarily. Uh, I wouldn't hate, uh, be completely honest, I wouldn't hate if Gonzaga clearly earned a 4-5-6 seed in the NCAA tournament and then somehow lost the WCC championship and allowed Portland to sneak back in. Because they do deserve it, they do earn it. Uh, I think Gonzaga's a better team than Portland. Portland's inconsistent, uh, but they have some really nice talent on this team. I think Gonzaga's just deeper. Uh, they're stronger. Brenna Maxwell, the way she's been playing lately, uh, this team is really, really hard to beat when she's shooting 50-plus percent from deep. Uh, Liza Hongsworth has been a great depth player. Vani Ejim has been fantastic. She had a really, really nice game recently. Of course, the Tron Twins uh, continue to be fantastic with health now. Uh, this team is starting to really rock. I think Portland's going to be a really big challenge for them. We're going to know a lot more on Saturday. They're taking each other on on the 14th. That's going to be a really, really fun game. I think Portland is clearly the second best team in the WCC. I think if Gonzaga plays them three times, they don't win all three of them. But I think Gonzaga is the better team and should still and be the team that ends up winning the regular season and the WCC championship. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Uh, thanks for sticking it out with the sickness, with the illness. Uh, we're getting through it. Uh, plenty more good content coming your way this week. Uh, also, if you have not done so yet, please check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. It is a national show about college hoops. Myself, co-host Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels, we're on there every day talking about the Big East, the Big Ten, Every single college basketball thing that you could think about. We're talking Kentucky. We're talking about the Texas opening. Everything out there that's going on in college basketball. Check it out if you haven't already. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Subscribe to Locked on Zag. Subscribe to Cut Locked on College Basketball. Takes five seconds of your time. Makes me much, much happier. So I would very, very much appreciate it. All right. That is going to do it today. Until next time, go Zags.